Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Pastor John. I am the pastor's wonderful church we call the Outpouring of Orlando. We want to just welcome you in today. If this is your first time with us, even if it is Uh, online. We just want to say welcome and we're so glad that you would be with us on today. Even if you have not visited us physically, we're just excited that you are with us online today. So we want to just welcome you. We pray that you would be blessed um, by what you experienced today, even online. To my outpouring family, man, I miss you guys so much, man. I miss you guys so much. I wish that we could gather right now, but due to the circumstances of everything that's going on, uh, we can't gather like we normally would, but know that your pastor is praying for you. I hope that you guys are praying for me, and I hope that you miss me as much as I miss you. Uh, Well, we just want to welcome everyone in today. If this is your first time checking us out online, I want to ask you to do something for me. Uh, Follow us on social media. Go to our uh, Instagram page and follow us or check us out on Facebook and go ahead and give us a follow. That way you can stay abreast of everything that's going on in our church. This is the new normal, so we might as well get used to it and utilize it to the best of our abilities. But I want to invite you to Follow us and be a part of what we're doing here at the Outpouring uh, in Orlando, Florida. Well, uh, without further ado, we have been in a series in the book of First Peter for the last few weeks, and it's been going phenomenal. It, it coincides with our theme for the year, which is living on mission. And so we've been preaching through First Peter. However, however, because of everything that is going on right now in the world with the coronavirus, I thought it would be uh, right and I thought it would be pertinent and relevant for us to speak to that and provide hope for people uh, in these uncertain times. And so um, if you have a Bible, I want you to grab your Bible right there where you are. If you are sitting at a desk or if you're chilling in the bed or if you're sitting on the couch, wherever you are, go ahead and grab your Bible uh, and turn with me to the book of Romans. And we're going to look at Romans chapter five, verses uh, one through five. Romans chapter five, verses one through five. I want to say this while you're grabbing your Bible and you're turning to, to the book of Romans. Man, we are living in unprecedented times uh, for our uh, for our generation. And I just want to speak this morning and give you hope. If there was any time that you were going to draw near to God, now would be the time. If you ever put off having a relationship with the Lord, now is the time. Don't wait. Don't prolong it. We need God now like we've never needed him before. Unfortunately for us, sometimes it takes tragedy or it takes uh, times like these to draw people to God. But even in that, the goodness of God is that he is still available and he is still waiting to come into a relationship with you right where you are. I read um, an article yesterday that was um, a survey or a study that was put out by the University of Sydney in Australia. And one of their Professor said that um, 
prolonged, um, prolonged quarantine or social isolation exacerbates anxiety and helplessness. And so that's where a lot of us are. A lot of us are not used to uh, sitting still. But I want to tell you this, that if there was ever time that you wanted to press into God, now would be the time. Hope is not lost. Hope is in God. So let's use this time wisely. If you got a Bible, I'm going to start reading Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. It says this, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I want to invite you to pray with me now before we dive into today's message. Father, we thank you for this awesome and gracious opportunity, God, to study your word. Father, we look to you now. We look to you, God, for all answers. We look to you for hope, God. We look to you for certainty. And so, Father, we just thank you today that even in the midst of loss and tragedy, God, we still worship you. We know that times may not be good, but you are good. You are good and your mercy endure forever, God. And so, Lord, we lean on you today, God. And as we pray, God, I want you to see our prayer, God, as a symbol and a sign of our complete and total dependence on you. And so today, God, as we study your word together, God, I pray that we would see your son, Jesus. I pray, God, that that the light of Jesus would shine through. God, I pray that through today's message that we would see our need for a savior, God. And so, Lord, I just pray today um, that you would do work in the hearts of your people. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would connect us, even if it is through the screen, God. I thank you, Father, right now for everything that you're going to do in this time that we have together, God. I thank you for your people that are gathered through technology today, God. We, we praise you, we honor you, and we give thanks to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said amen. And so um, the sermon title for today is Hope in Times of Uncertainty. Hope in Times of uncertainty. This is where having a fundamental understanding of what we believe about God and what he says about us is so vital. If there was ever a time that we needed to know who God is and what he believes about us now would be the time. In times like this, what we believe about God matters. In times like this, what we believe about God matters. The reality is, is that in this life, there will be times where things are bad. And the picture at times that that we see in life may be disappointing, but the truth is this, over everything that we see and everything that we experience in our lives and in the world, it does not supersede what God has already said and 
declared in his word. As bad as we think it is now, truthfully, the apostle Paul painted a far worse and far unpleasant picture about things to the believers in Rome to which he writes. The picture that the apostle Paul painted was far more grim than anything that we see in the news today, whether it be about a virus that is sweeping through the world and, or, or it's maybe the, the worst invasion of desert locusts that has invaded East Africa in 25 years. Things in the world look as crazy as they've ever been, but the Apostle Paul paints a far more grim picture to the saints in Rome. And so in the first four chapters in the book of Romans, Paul introduces this idea called justification. He introduces this idea called justification, but in order to appreciate justification, first we must understand why justification matters for us. The picture that Paul paints for the believers at Rome about the human condition was that no one is righteous, that no one understood God, that no one seeks God, that all turn aside, that together everyone had become worthless, that no one does good, not even one person did what was good, and the reason was because we all were helpless under the power of sin, that even our good works were tainted by sin. Apart from God, we absolutely are nothing. Apart from God, we are worthless and we are helpless, and so he paints this grim picture of the human condition apart from God. There's a famous scripture that even if you've never been in church, you will, heard this, you will hear people say this. It's in Romans 3 and 23, and, and people say this. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And oftentimes when we say this, we say it like it's a consolation prize. Like we're all in this together. We've all failed, but we shouldn't take, take hope and confidence that we've all fallen short of the glory of God because the Bible later tells us, Paul actually writes in this same letter in chapter six, that the wages of sin is death. That, that our sin is not just something that God uh, plays tennis with and he volleys it back and forth with us, but that the wages of our sin is death, that the wages of our sin is punishable by death, which means that we will be separated from God for eternity if something didn't happen for us. And so Paul paints this, this situation that is grim, that is gruesome of the human condition, and he's essentially telling them that we cannot escape it. That, that we cannot get out of our own way. There is not enough social distancing in the world that we could do to undo the nature of what sin has done to us. That, that although we may practice social distancing, even social distancing can't stop the sin problem that we have. But all hope was not lost. That's the good news about Jesus. That's the good news about the gospel, that all hope is not lost. On the cross, Christ stood in our place and God poured out the wrath that we deserve on his son Jesus. Jesus took on our sin on the cross. He stood in our place, but that's not where the good news ends. The good news also means that we got Christ's righteousness. So there was an exchange there. He took on our sin and we got his his righteousness and so we received his righteousness and because of Christ if we are in a relationship with him God sees us as righteous and that is good news and so what that means for us is that we are completely forgiven from our sins and no longer liable to punishment because Christ took our sin punishment 
on the cross, our past, our present, and our future. Jesus has made us righteous, not on the basis of any good works that we can do, but but on the finished work of Christ. Christ lived, died, and rose again for us. It comes to us through faith in Christ, and faith is this. I It's saying this, I give up. I will not depend on myself or my own good works any longer. Jesus, I trust you and depend on you completely to give me a righteous standing before God, and that is a reason that we can rejoice no matter what our circumstances look like. Even if there's a virus going on in the world, the good news is, is that if we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our standing with God is good. And this is what Paul is communicating in this part of the letter, that even though things may not be ideal, there is something to rejoice about. It could be worse. It could be worse, but thank God for Jesus Theologian John Stott said that we as Christians should be the most positive people in the world because of what has happened to us through Jesus Christ. And so this text is essentially inviting us to celebrate the benefits that the gospel provides for believers. And so I'm going to run through a couple benefits that we have as believers because of what Jesus did for us. And the first benefit that we have and that we should rejoice about even in times of uncertainty is that we have peace with God. At the very root of our rejoicing as believers is the idea that we have peace with God. And for us, we throw the terminology in our culture around that that we're at peace, that I feel at peace. And so we've reduced peace down to a warm and fuzzy feeling that we have about people and situations. I'm at peace with my job. I'm at peace with my spouse. I'm at peace with my children. I'm at peace with these circumstances. Well, that's not what he means here. When he talks about peace with God, he's essentially saying reconciliation, that we have been reconciled with God. Prior to our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God wasn't some neutral relationship. Relationship. The Bible tells us that without God and without Jesus, our relationship with God wasn't neutral. It wasn't just a high and by, I'll deal with him if I feel like it, but as long as I don't say anything to him, he won't say anything to me. As long as I go about my business and I just do good works and I do good things in the community and I go to my kids' school and I come home to my spouse and I pay the bills, um, I'm cool with God. Even if I don't acknowledge him, I'm all right. He minds his business in heaven and I mind my business here in the earth. But let me tell you something. Whether you are a believer or not, your relationship with God is not neutral. It is not a neutral relationship. The the Bible tells us that that if we don't have a relationship with God, we are not at peace with God. We are actually enemies of the cross, and, and we are enemies with God. If you are not a friend of God, then you are an enemy of God. That's a stark reality. But the good news is it doesn't have to be that way. That, that because of Jesus, we, we, can, we can remove, the, the hostility has been removed. We now have a relationship with God. You may think that if something has happened in your life, that maybe you got on God's wrong side. That maybe God woke up, woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Or that your relationship with God is off because things are out of whack uh, in your life. But the truth is, is that if you are in Christ, the debt of your past and your mistakes has been satisfied. And now you You can enjoy a peaceful relationship with God. And that is good news. So 
the other benefit to the gospel and what Jesus has done for us is not that just we have not that just we have uh, peace with God, but we also have access to God. Verse two says um, that we obtain access to him through faith into this grace, access to God. We have access to God. You know, today in our culture, in our time, everybody calls each other friends primarily because of social media. And so people that we don't really know, we call them friends. Some of us have 500 friends. Some of us have 2,000 friends. Some of us have 5,000 friends. But I wonder how many of that 5,000, that 2,000, that 1,000 could show up to your house tonight. Because real friendship actually means that we have access with one another. And so we talk about friendship and we talk about being at peace with someone that that means that we have access to them, that that we can actually enjoy each other's physical presence. And that pains me to say that now because I can't even enjoy the presence of the people that I love in the church that I pastor. And so we, we, we take that for granted. But, but to have access to God means that we have access to his presence, that we can have a relationship with him where we can go into one another's lives. Good relationships are not one-sided. When you have a good relationship and a peaceful relationship, you both have access to one another. You both have access to one another. You text each other back and forth. You can call one another back and forth. And sometimes, to be honest, sometimes with God, we only want it one way. Where where we have access to God, but sometimes, if we're being honest, we don't want him to have access to us. But, But this, what Paul is talking about, is an intimate relationship where we know each other and we communicate up close and personal. That if you have a relationship with God, no matter what you've done, no matter where you then no matter what mistakes you've made, that if you are in Christ, we've been accepted as sons and daughters of God, that that we are sons and daughters of God, that we can come to him like he is a good and perfect father. Hebrews tell us to come boldly to the throne of grace so that we can obtain mercy in our time of need. Coming boldly means that I can come having confidence that you will be there and that you will answer and that you will respond. And so this is the type of access that Jesus has granted us in our relationship with God. In this present climate, we may not have access to each other, We may not be able to access family. We may not be able to access friends. We may not be able to access co-workers or classmates. But the good news is that no matter how much social distancing we practice right now, we have access with God. We may be practicing social distancing, but we don't have to practice spiritual distancing. We have access to the God of the heavens and the earth. We may not have yet found the antidote or the cure for the disease that has separated us from each other at this present moment, but God has already provided the cure for the disease called sin that separates us from him. And that antidote is the blood of his precious son, Jesus, that was shed on the cross for our sins. And that same son was raised to life so that we could have eternal life and uninterrupted eternal fellowship with God. That is good news. That is good news. And so this is the type of relationship that we can have with God. Verse two says, by faith into this grace in in which we stand, this is all God's doing. We don't deserve 
this type of relationship with God. You know your past. Your family might know your past. Your spouse might know your past. Your siblings might know your past. And they would say, you don't deserve to have that type of relationship with God. And the truth of the matter is, they would be correct. None of us deserve to be able to have access and to go into God's presence. We can't do enough good works to get an audience with God. But that's what the work of Christ has done for us. That is what real favor is. Real favor ain't a house or a car or some money or a job promotion or a degree or some things behind your name. Real favor is knowing that I have salvation in Christ Jesus. That is the favor of God, that I got the Holy Spirit, that when things are going crazy in the world, I have a relationship with God. I have peace with God. I have access with God. My hope in the future is certain, and so I can put my trust in God. That is good news. That is the favor of God. And so this is something that we have now, but the even better news is that it is something that we will experience in even greater measure in the future. We will live in the presence of God and there will be nothing to disrupt that reality. There won't be a coronavirus. There won't be cancer. There won't be diabetes. There won't be heart disease. There won't be strokes. There won't be anything to interrupt our relationship with God because of Jesus. So he tells us in verse 2, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the glory of God. We look as believers. We look to the day when all things will be made new and we will be as we were intended to be. We will be made like him and sin will be removed. There will be no more failure on our part that we will be like God, like he intended us to be. We will see him and behold him face to face. There will be no more sadness, no more sickness, no more social distancing, no more diseases, no more decay. We will all be like we were intended to be with resurrected bodies. We will be able to worship God and be with each other in heaven. That is a beautiful hope and a beautiful reality. And the reason why Paul says this is because having this theology will shape our perspective. For some of us, this is challenging because we have the wrong perspective. And oftentimes, what's missing in our lives It's not more money, not another relationship, not a better vehicle, not a bigger house, not a larger family. That's not what's really missing. What's really missing for us is right perspective. And so Paul has said all of this in the first two verses because he wants to ground our theology and our perspective in the truth that that we have peace with God and that we have access to God and that we have hope in a future that is certain because it is grounded in something that has already happened, namely the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's what he says. If you're turning with me in your Bible in verses three through four, he says, and not only that, Paul is like saying, wait, there's more. Not only that, we also rejoice in our afflictions Because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And so I'm thinking the believers in Rome probably read this part about blessing and 
rejoicing, and they probably said to themselves, Paul must not be living in the reality, or Paul must not understand the ferocious amount of sufferings and setbacks that people are going through. Paul must not know that as of today, 10,000 people have died of the coronavirus. Paul must not know that the people on Wall Street are saying that this is going to be a time of all-time job loss and unemployment. Paul must not know that the government right now doesn't have all the answers. Paul must not know that people are dying at a record clip. Paul must not know about the stuff happening in East Africa. Paul must not know what's happening at my job. Paul must not know what's happening in my marriage and how I have no peace. Paul must not know that we don't have enough money and and we're fearful that we might lose our job. Paul must not know any of that. These people were facing all kinds of trouble, sickness, financial struggles, and persecution for being Christians. And Paul is here saying we rejoice in our afflictions. And so it would be easy to say that the apostle is crazy. He's lost his mind. But let me tell you this. One of the paradoxes of being a Christian is that joy can exist with affliction. That joy and affliction can coexist. That as a believer, I can have joy even in the midst of uncertainty and chaos. It's almost to say that everything around me could be going crazy, but I have joy on the inside because my hope is not in the stuff going on. My hope is in God. And and so this is what Paul is saying to them. He's not saying that we get excited when things turn for the worse, but it is to say we rejoice when we find ourselves in it because we know it is working something in us. What God is working in us through trials and devastation has purpose and value. We should see our afflictions through the lens of potential for growth. That, That we grow at a faster clip when times are difficult. Do you notice that when everything is going well, that we have a tendency to pray less? Do you know that when the job is A-OK and your boss treats you well, that we pray less? Oh, but as soon as things go left, that is when we run To God. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with that, but can you see how sometimes God reigns over situations and puts us in circumstances where we have to turn to Him? Because sometimes, if we're being honest, that's the only time that God gets our attention. And so Paul says, suffering or affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces. Hope. Paul talks about endurance. Endurance means to stay under pressure, to have some sort of stick to that when times get tight, this is not the time for you to run away from God. This is not the time for you to go missing from your church community. This is not the time that you go into a great depression. This is the time where you endure and you hold on to God. Hebrews 12 tells us this, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him. 
he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our example of endurance. We need Jesus to endure. He's not just our example, but he is our endurance. And if endurance is met with the right attitude, it will produce proven character. What is proven character? Proven character is just tested character. It is character that has been refined by fire. That, that the, the fire that comes burns off the things in our character that should not be there. It burns off things so that we can be who God intended for us to be. Theologian Charles Hodge calls it tried integrity. The real you is the you that responds to hardship. So he calls us to endure. And I want to encourage you today that, yes, we don't know how long this may last. We don't know what the outcome will be. But God has called us as believers to endure. And if you are not a believer and you are struggling to endure, then you will never endure like you have before until you come into a relationship with Jesus. He says that it produces proven character, which brings about hope. And essentially it's this, if you go through something that could have broken you or should have turned you away from God, but it didn't, that's actually proof that your hope is certain. Rather than casting doubt or weakening our hope, everything that is going on now should increase the certainty of our hope in God. When things happen and we endure it and we grow in Christ through it, that is proof positive that our future hope, our future glory is certain. Our weakness actually magnifies God's power. It is okay to be weak as long as God is your strength. The Bible tells us that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. It is proof that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at his return. So it leads us to our final point. It says that proven character produces something called hope. And there are some things that we need to learn about biblical hope. Here's what it says in verse five. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So as I close, I want to say this. We are accustomed to false hope or deceptive hope, things that are not sure. We sometimes hope in our family. We hope In our government, we hope in day-to-day things like beating the traffic on a highway that shall remain nameless if you live in Orlando, but it has the letter I in it. We we hope in these things, and and at times we realize that what we were hoping never happens, that that hope is disappointing. And the scriptures tell us in Proverbs that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Well, maybe that is a sign for us not to place our hope in things or place our hope in people. It's not to say that we can't have expectations, but sometimes we put hope in people like people are God. But one author said this, in order to be prepared to hope in what does not deceive, we must first lose hope in everything that deceives. And so maybe we should lose hope. And some of the things that we cling so tightly to. Maybe we should loosen the reins on those things. Maybe this is a call for us 
to firmly plant our feet in the real, true hope, which is God. When we hope in Jesus, the hope of our future salvation will never put us to shame. It'll never disappoint us. When we have hope in Christ, we will never have to worry about having false confidence. Our hope in God is firmly anchored in the love of God. And it tells us that the Holy Spirit, that his love is important in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the work to reaffirm us in God's love for us. The Holy Spirit ensures us that, that we can build our, life, build our lives on the hope of God. That this hope lets us know that God is in control in all circumstances and situations. That nothing that happens in this life can tear God's love away from us. And so today I, I'm inviting you that even if you don't know what's going to happen with your job, that you can hope in God. That, that even if you don't know what's going to happen with your finances, you can hope in God. That there's still a reason to rejoice. That, that we can rejoice in having peace with God. Because you know what peace with God does? It leads us to having the peace of God. We can rejoice because we have access to God. You may not be able to visit your parents right now. You may not be able to visit your friends. You, you may not be able to see your co-workers right now, but you can go right into the presence of God. You, you can go right into his presence and there is nothing. There's not a sickness, not a disease that can separate us from God. Here's what Paul said later in Romans 8 verses 35 through 39. He says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the, script, as the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither fears for today no worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord the foundation of our hope is the unshakable love of God revealed in the cross. So, we can have hope in times of uncertainty. If you are watching today, I want to invite you into a relationship with the Lord Jesus if you don't have one. Knowing about God and having a relationship with God are two different things. And many would say that they know about God. But knowing God from a biblical perspective implies intimacy. Even if they come up with a cure 
for the virus tomorrow and you don't have Jesus, your life is hopeless. But if they never come up with a cure and you have Jesus, you have everything. And so if you're watching us online today, there's two buttons you can press on your phone or on the computer. One is a request for prayer. If you need prayer, you can hit the button and tell us what your prayer request is. But there's another where if you click on this button, it'll be like you raise your hand for salvation. I don't believe that we have to wait until we're together before you can surrender to Jesus. You right where you are with your phone in your hand or with your laptop in your lap or resting on your bed or on your countertop or on your work desk. Wherever you are, if this situation has been driving you crazy, if it's only been a week and you've already had enough, and you don't know what to cling to. Well, I want to tell you this. The answer to that is not the government, although we pray and we believe the best. The hope is not even in doctors and scientists, although we pray for them and we believe the best. Your only hope that is certain and secure is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even you that is watching me via technology can have a relationship with Jesus. Even if you're by yourself, you can surrender right now. What does that look like? Well, that looks like what Paul talks about in chapter 3 that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that if you turn to chapter 6 in the book of Romans, he tells us that the wages of our sin is death. That's not good news. The good news is that God saw something about our condition and he did something about it. He sent his son Jesus to the earth. And his son lived a perfect life but he suffered and died on a cross. His blood was shed for our sins. He died a real death. But then something supernatural happened three days later. That same Jesus that died by crucifixion was raised to life. And because he was raised to life, you and I can be raised to life. That if we were dead in our sins, we can be made alive. And so if you have breath in your lungs today, physical breath, there's nothing like God bringing the breath of life into you now. So if you're there as a praise team sings and the musicians play, I would extend the invitation. And so I'll pray now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. 
You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.